beginning with Matthew 16, verses 13 through 19. This is what God's Word says. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then we look in Matthew 18 and we see Jesus teaches further about the church and about discipline that is to happen in and through the church. He says in verse 15, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established By the evidence of two or three witnesses. But if he refuses to listen to them. Tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church. Let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you. If two two of you agree on earth about anything they ask. It will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Let's pray for our time in God's word this morning. Father, left to ourselves, uh, we are quite foolish. We are rebellious. Uh, We think we know best and we don't. Uh, Lord, we need guidance and we need discernment. We need it from you and your word. We need to understand your word. Lord, we need your spirit to help us to understand your word. And so we pray in these moments that you would give us insight and understanding. We pray that you would open up our eyes to see. That you would help our minds to understand. Father, that you would help our hearts to believe. And Lord, I pray if there's any here this morning who has yet to repent and place their faith in Christ as Lord Father, that you would call them to that repentance today. And Lord, for those of us who have repented, who've placed our faith in Christ, perhaps there's an area in our life that you want to deal with today and that you will lead us to repentance in that area. Whatever it is, God, I pray that we would listen and that we would be obedient and that we would learn today. And we pray for these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, membership has its privileges. Uh, That was a popular slogan uh, back in the 80s and 90s, made popular by American Express. Uh, It was an ad campaign they had for about a decade, and they had that campaign in hopes of getting more people to sign up for their product. Uh, Through this slogan, through this campaign, that that membership has its privileges. They were trying to tell people that if, if you're a member of our product, then you will have privilege. Yet we know how industry works. Really, the the privilege was on their side. They they would make money off of that, and and they can. They're a private company. But 
when you look at things like credit card companies, you realize that, that they're the ones with the privilege. They're the ones with the benefit by people signing up. In fact, uh, American Express, two years ago, spent $2.22 billion just on advertising alone. And they only gained a little over a, a million subscribers. Uh, they spent thousands of dollars per person to get them to use their product. Why? Because they were benefiting. Uh, they, were, they were growing their company off of people subscribing to their product. And so the, the, the membership really benefited the, the company. Sadly, when it comes to the church, that's kind of how we view membership as well. We, we, we don't quite understand it or we, we don't really see the benefit in it personally for us. Uh, perhaps we see that it would benefit the church, it would benefit someone else, but sometimes we don't understand the scriptural call to membership as well as what the benefit of being a member of a church is. And so that's part of what we're seeking to accomplish in this series is to look at what does the scripture say about those things. Uh, last week, for example, we looked at the issue of is church membership even biblical? As we address the issue in our own church of having uh, close nearly a thousand members now and yet less than 300 here on Sundays, as we try to figure this thing out and what we need to do, we need to fundamentally understand, well, is this whole process even biblical? And so we talked last week about how we see throughout God's word a, a pattern. Uh, we see boundaries. We, we see an inside and an outside. We see that with inside those boundaries, God offers protection and provision. We see that in our sin, we rebel and we go outside those boundaries. So whether it's uh, the, the garden in Genesis or, or the ark or uh, the, the camp of God's people or, or other illustrations we see, uh, we constantly see that language. And when we come into the New Testament to Matthew 16, we see that Jesus is taking that now into the establishment of the church. Uh, that the church has an inside and outside, that the church has boundaries, that within those boundaries there's provision and there's protection from God for his people. Uh, we looked at that last week and that carries us into our study this week because as we now look at the, the biblical nature of church membership, the question rises then, well then does every Christian need to join the church? Uh, it's become very popular in our culture today in some churches to do away with the concept of church membership altogether. Uh, rather than trying to sift through the, the hundreds that are on rolls that aren't really involved and figure this thing out, many churches have kind of thrown their hands up in the air and said, well, you know, just come if you come, don't if you don't, and, and membership's not significant. Uh, other churches are in situations like ours where we're, we're trying to sift through this and understand it, and, and we find that people have varying understandings of various thoughts, some biblically informed, some just culturally informed. So we need to deal with this question. If you're a Christian, are you called then to be a member of a local church? As we said just a moment ago, is there any real benefit to it? And if there is benefit, what is that benefit? Well, I want to look at, at three of those benefits as we look at this calling to church membership this morning. And the first one we're going to look at is this, that church membership affirms our repentance and faith. Church membership affirms our repentance and faith. Again, the passage we read this week, the passage we looked at last Lord's Day, the passage we've looked at before, Matthew 16. What's taking place here? Now, Jesus has asked the disciples, who do people say that I am and who do you say that I am? And they, we see that confession of Peter. Peter says, you are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. And then Jesus says, that's it. And based on that confession and those that share in that confession, I will build my church. We talked last week about 
the significance of that. You know, up until this point, you had many people who were following Jesus. You had many people who considered themselves disciples of Jesus. And so if it was just sufficient to say, well, we're just going to be followers of Jesus, and that's fine, we don't have a real need for Matthew 16. And yet Jesus establishes something here for a reason. He establishes here, it's not just sufficient to be a follower, a disciple. You need to be a part of something I am establishing. And we see the establishment of the church in Matthew 16. And what is that establishment based on? It's based on a confession. And so we see in this text that church membership is is not an affirmation that you were born into a family that's a part of Bloomfield Baptist Church. Uh, church membership is not an affirmation that uh, you're a citizen of Nelson County, so you should be a member of a local church. No, church membership is an affirmation that you have repented, that you have turned from your sin, and you have placed your faith fully in Christ, that you have responded to the gospel, the gospel that tells us that our works are insufficient to save us, but that Christ's work on the cross is fully sufficient to save us, that he was sinless and he died in our place. And that when we repent of our sin and place our faith in him, we receive his righteousness. And then we are in the family of God. But notice the model. Notice the pattern we see in the scripture. Peter makes this confession. And then we get into the book of Acts and we find early in the book of Acts, Peter not only has made this confession, now he is, he is evangelizing. Now he is proclaiming the gospel to others. Acts chapter 2 is Pentecost. It's a passage we look at often. There Peter, in proclaiming the gospel, people come to a point where they say to him, what do we need to do? Uh, they've heard the gospel. They are compelled. They are convicted. They say to Peter, what do we need to do? Someone comes to our church today. They hear the gospel. They come forward. They say, what do I need to do? We should tell them what Peter told the people listening to him. He said two things. He said, you need to repent and you need to be baptized. Now, there has been confusion in the church over this statement. There's been confusion over the connection between baptism and salvation. There are those who hold to a teaching called baptismal regeneration that says that in order to be saved, to be regenerate, you need to be baptized. They say that you're not saved until you're baptized. And they base it on verses like this. I remember... As a young believer, I became a Christian when I was 17 years old. I was a student at North Carolina State University. I was sitting there in the student center one day, and I was reading my Bible in between classes. And a group of students came by and sat down and talked to me. At, at first, I thought it was just going to be a, a friendly conversation about what I was reading in the Bible. They told me they were Christians, but, but soon they kind of became a little aggressive. They, they were part of a, of a group there. Uh, near my campus who believed that in order to be saved you had to be baptized and you had to be baptized by their particular group they weren't even really a, a denomination I found out later they were really a, a cult but they pressed this issue with me and this was the question they posed they said they challenged me to find a place in the book of Acts where there was not a call to repentance and baptism and based on that, they said, that is because baptism is necessary for salvation. Well, you can go through the gospel understanding our works are completely insufficient. Our works can't save us. And you can see very quickly why that argument falls apart. Why anything based on our works to save us is then unbiblical. 
But, but here was the challenge. The challenge was to understand then what's the connection between salvation and baptism. Because as you read through the book of Acts, what you find is people repent and they're baptized. Here's the connection. In the book of Acts, in the New Testament church, people didn't repent and then try to figure out what they were going to do with that. Well, well, should we join the local church? Should, should we be baptized and let people know? There was a connection between I'm repenting and in my repentance I'm going to tell the world about it and I'm going to be baptized. And being baptized was their entrance into the church. Uh, Acts chapter 2. If you look at that passage where those men say, what do we need to do to be saved? You find, verse 41, that they received the word and they were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. question is, what were they added to? Well, you go right after that to a passage that we quote often talking about the early church. Verses 42 and 43 of Acts chapter 2. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread, to the prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. See, this passage is talking about the, the, the New Testament church. And how did people enter into that church? They repented, they, they were saved, and then they were baptized. That baptism did not save them. It was an expression of their faith. It was an identification not just with their new faith but with the body of faith they were being brought into. And that's why it's, it, it's insufficient if, if someone comes to the church one day and sits down with me and we talk about repentance and faith and they say oh yeah I'm, I'm a Christian and yeah I know I need to get baptized but you know pastor I'm, I'm just a little shy. And I'm a little embarrassed, and could we just go, you know, could we just do this on Tuesday night sometime when nobody's, nobody's around? But see, the, the problem with that is, is yes, you're, you're identifying with Christ in your baptism, but you're not identifying with God's people. You're not celebrating this with God's people. And there's that connection in the Scripture. You're standing before God saying, yes, I've indeed repented, I believe. And you're standing with God's people to say, I am now a part of this. I'm now within this boundary that we've seen established. I'm now on the inside of this, and I'm under the authority of God and His Word and His people, and I'm in with accountability with God and His people. I'm not just some Lone Ranger Christian out there. See, see we all need that. And coming into the local church helps provide that for us in affirming our repentance and faith. We also see, as I place in your notes there, that in addition to this affirmation, it, it provides authority for our lives biblical authority for our faith and yet we're not a people who are very fond of authority uh, we, we we push against authority uh, we we celebrate in our culture independence uh, we celebrate that, that that we answer to no one that we make our own rules uh, we don't like authority in fact we rebel against it and we see this as biblical, not that we should, but that we do. Now you look there in Genesis and what takes place in the fall. Uh, you have God given authority over, has authority, dominion over man and all of creation. And what is it that Adam and Eve rebel against? They rebel against the authority of God. The serpent says to them the same thing that the serpent says to us. Did God really say God doesn't want you to do this. 
because he knows if you do this, you're, you're going to get something pleasing for yourself. And so what do we do? We seek to please ourselves. We want to be our own God. We might not call it that, but that's exactly what it is. We, we rebel against authority. And yet the scripture tells us clearly that we need authority. You see, we're not sufficient to be independent. We're not sufficient to just be there on our own. When we go out on our own, we get in trouble pretty quick. Proverbs is, is full of wisdom. And one of my favorite Proverbs, as well as one of the most convicting Proverbs, is Proverbs fourteen twelve. It says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is death. And what that proverb says to me every time I think about it and read it is that I don't have to just worry about doing things that I know are wrong. I have to be careful about doing things that I on my own think are right. That I have all these compelling reasons to do. How I'm so convinced they're right. Because the scripture says I can think I'm right all day long. And I can be on a path to death. You see left to ourselves we're not very wise. Left to ourselves we run towards sin and depravity every time. And whether it's Adam and Eve in the garden or anybody you want to pick throughout the scripture, we see this pattern. And if you want to see it clearly, look in the mirror. We are prone to wander. And that's why we need God's people and we need the authority of God, His Word, His people, and His leaders. Proverbs 3 is another proverb we often quote, talks about Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He'll make your path straight. But then it goes on to say this, a verse we don't quote as often, verse 7 of Proverbs 3. Do not be wise in your own eyes. It's when we quote to our children all the time, when we catch them doing that. And usually soon after that, I have to say it back to myself. <laughs> and we often, we think we're doing the right thing, we think we're so wise. And yet we find ourselves so easily in sin. See, we, we need to be under authority of one another and of the church to, to protect us from ourselves. To protect us from the enemy who seeks to devour us. And we see that accountability, uh, that authority, in a couple of ways in the church. One, we see it here in Matthew chapter 18, that there's an authority to the church body itself. That, that, that we, as church members, have authority in one another's lives. You and I, as members of the church, we are covenanting together to have authority among each other's lives. Matthew chapter 18 gives us this picture of what this authority can look like. It talks about if a brother sins against you, what do you do? Do you just say, well, the church is the authority, so I'm just going to take it straight to the church? No, there's authority we have with one another. You go and tell that brother about his sin. What the church could look like if we could simply obey that. And yet, what do we often do? Brother sins against you. Rather than go to that brother, you might go to someone else. You might go to a lot of people. Yet the scripture says, no, go to them. Why? That you might just nip it in the bud and deal with it there and they repent and the glory is to God. But not everybody's going to repent. And so the scripture says, take one or two with you and some won't even repent in that situation. So then the scripture says, take it to the church. Why? Because God has established the church with authority. Because we need to discipline one another when we're in sin. When people won't repent. There's authority there among the church. But, but not just there. The scripture also tells us that 
there's authority among the leaders of the church. Sadly, we, we tend to go to one to two ends here. On one end, where a lot of us fall, is we don't follow the authority of the leaders in the church. And we're very independent, and we say, you know, I don't, I'm not going to listen to that pastor, that authority, when we don't agree with it. We might not just say that openly, but that's how we live. On the other end, there are some who say, oh yeah, the church has authority, the pastor has authority, and they don't keep the pastor in check at all, and there's no accountability. And that's a very dangerous position as well. We need to get back to what does the scripture say about the authority of its leaders. Let me read to you one passage. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. We as believers are instructed, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Here, the the leaders in the church are those who are proclaiming the word, teaching the word. The writer of Hebrews says to, to imitate their faith. He goes on to encourage them in their faith in Christ, to suffer along with Christ. And then he says this in verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. As those who will have to give an account, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. That passage says we're called to obey. We're called to submit to the authorities God has put in our life, specifically here to leaders in the church. I was just this week, Leland and I were meeting with a couple who were joining our church and and oftentimes when I talk to people about joining the church, I want them to understand, listen, I'm, I'm not getting a bonus here. You know, I don't, I don't get a, a raise at the end of the year if so many people join. I don't, I don't get a set of steak knives for closing the deal here. Uh, in fact, when people join the church, you want to know what I get? I get another soul that I'm going to stand before God and give account for. And I take that seriously. And that's why I'm continuing, along with other leaders in our church, to push ahead on this issue of church membership because I believe what God's Word says. Not just part of it, but all of it. And I believe, according to this passage, that one day I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to have to give account for the souls of those who are a member of this local body. And if there's somebody who's a member of this body and God gives me the privilege of being the pastor here for many, many years, and I never see them or even know who they are, it's hard to give account for that soul. But that's on me. That's my responsibility. And I accept that responsibility. I feel called to that responsibility. But I feel called as one who wants to shepherd God's people, who has authority, not just blind authority to just tell people what to do and dictate, but has the authority of a shepherd to care for your souls. We see that authority in the church. We're called to respond to that authority of the membership as well as the leaders. But we need to be careful with authority because that authority must be balanced with accountability. And that's the last point I've put in your notes this morning. The church membership keeps us accountable in our faith. You see, friends, Christians, I'm accountable to you. As members of the church, you're accountable to me and one another. And we're called to keep each other accountable. We, we need accountability desperately in our lives. Uh, regardless of what side of the aisle you are on, regardless of which convention you are more excited about and who you're planning on voting for, you'll, you'll hear similar sentiments come from both parties right now. You'll hear this sense of, we want the government uh, to have greater accountability. Well, I believe that the government believes in accountability. Uh, now, it may be debatable how much accountability they want, but they le- believe in accountability for you and I. 
they believe we need to be accountable, for example, to pay our taxes. Uh, my family and I, are, we're going out for a fancy lunch today to Fazoli's. And uh, we're going to go to Fazoli's and we're going to get our big plate of pasta and our unlimited breadsticks. And when I pay that bill, they're not going to say to me, uh, here's how much your food is and, uh, you know, we trust that you'll pay your taxes, so you just do that. No. What are they going to do? The taxes will be on that bill. Why? Because there is a system in place to keep me and you accountable to make sure we're going to pay those taxes. Our state and federal governments don't say to us, all right, now annually uh, we need you to reconcile your income and your taxes. Uh, now when you do that, you just get us that check or we'll give you a check, you know, whenever you want. No. They set a date. Why? Because they know our nature and they know their nature. They know that that post office will be very busy come April 15th or whatever day the taxes are due. Because we need accountability. And friends, we see no greater need for accountability than we see in the scripture. We desperately need accountability in the faith. God did not design you and he did not design me to be Lone Ranger Christians. He did not design us to just go out there and figure this out on our own. And that's why in Matthew 16, Christ does not say, Peter, that's a great confession. And there's going to be a lot of people who make that confession. And I tell you what, the foundation of the faith will be you individual Christians and the gates of hell will not prevail against you individually. No. What does he say? He says, on that confession, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. And friends, that's why we desperately need to be a part of Christ's church. Because the gates of hell most indeedly are trying to prevail against you and I. And when we go outside of this boundary with this thought that we can handle it on our own, we are easy prey. We need to lock arms together. And we need to come inside these walls. And we need to keep each other accountable. We need to affirm the gospel. We need to come together under authority. And I realize in that plea that the church is not a pretty picture. I realize that the church is more known by its divisiveness than it's known by its affirmations. I realize the church is more known by those who are just independent and rebellious within it than those who come under God's authority and the authority of His shepherds and His people. I realize that oftentimes, even among pastors, we are foremost among those who have little to no accountability in our lives. I realize the picture is not what it should look like. But also realize that's why the scripture is our foundation. And the scripture gives us a picture. And the scripture calls us all indeed to repentance and to faith. To repentance and to faith. And by God's grace, those words we read off earlier, that church covenant, they won't just be a, a set of words that we put on a piece of paper and that we read every once in a while. By God's grace, we, Bloomfield Baptist Church, can be a people who wholeheartedly submit to the authority of Jesus Christ. Who fully come together and worship and serve and give and encourage one another. A place where we give a picture that represents the relationship between Christ and His bride and the way we treat and the way that we honor biblical marriage. 
a place where we are committed not to our own benefit, but to the benefit of the gospel around the nations where we will go without here that they might hear the gospel there. By God's grace, that's who we can be. And that's who I want to be a part of. That's who I want my family to be a part of. That's where I want my children to grow up. And it's not always going to be pretty. And there's going to be division. And there's going to be conflict. That's why we come together with the foundation of God's Word and we keep affirming it and coming under the authority of it and keeping one another accountable to it. That's what we're inviting you to be a part of. That's what we want to build here and keep building on here. If that's what God's calling you to, then we are grateful to lock arms with you and to prevail against the gates of hell. If you would, pray with me. Father, thank you for your church, and that's whose it is. It's not mine. It's not anyone who signed a charter membership in the 1700s. This, this church belongs to Christ. And my prayer is that this church would honor Christ and obey Christ. But Lord, this church is made up of its members, and every one of us, we need to choose who we're going to serve. Father, I pray for any here this morning who has yet to repent and respond to the gospel, who they stand on the outside of the faith right now. God, I pray that your spirit would move in their lives and call them to conviction and call them to repentance and call them to salvation. For others, Father, who perhaps have come to that point in repentance, maybe as they read this covenant, look at this covenant with us, there's parts there that, that they realize that's not where they're at. Perhaps they've not honored you with their tongue, with their thoughts, with their actions. Father, help us then to repent and to have faith. Father, help us to be a place where we build one another up, don't tear one another down, where we live in a common affirmation of the gospel under the authority of your word and your leaders and your people. Lord, where we keep each other accountable. We we pray for that to become more and more of a reality here at Bloomfield Baptist Church. And we pray for it in Christ's name. Amen.